Hello, Marshall Latham here. This episode is part one in a two-part series where Rishi Outfield and I talk about a couple movie adaptations of Henry James's novella, The Turn of the Screw. Um, as you can tell from the title, this time around we're talking about The Turning from 2020. But I also just uploaded to Patreon part two of this series where we talk about The Innocence from 1961 starring Deborah Carr. If you'd like to jump ahead to the next episode, go over to patreon.com slash journey into and sign up to donate a dollar a month to the Patreon. You'll find more early and extra episodes over there. I'd really appreciate the support. So go ahead and check it out. But for now, I'll let you enjoy our discussion of The Turning. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Outfield Excursions here on the Journey Into Podcast. This is excursion number 15, and I'm here with Rish Outfield to talk about The Turning. How are you doing, Rish? Well, I was fine until you brought up The Turning. (laughs) (laughs) How is it? Your stomach started doing The Turning? (laughs) Yeah. That's not far off. I was going to ask, how is it that we ended up reviewing this movie? And I'm worried that your answer is going to be that it was my idea. Was that the case? This time around, it was. we've discussed it before. We talked about pairing this movie a, while, a long time ago with The Innocence. And I think I even had that on a uh, poll on Patreon. But that's we ended up doing the Hercules movies instead. And then we didn't talk about it anymore. And then you were at the library and you saw the turning available and you sent me a picture of it and said, hey, remember this? So I guess we could blame it on you (laughs) since you took the picture and sent it to me. But Well, the thing is, uh, we talked about it like a year ago. Yeah. I think around the time that the turning came out and I think... What I brought up to you was that The Turning had just come out and it had not done well. But what was remarkable about the movie was its cinema score. And I I think we've discussed cinema score before in person, but I don't know that we have on the show. Cinema score is is an independent polling company that will go to movie theaters on the opening weekend it might even be opening day of a new movie and they will poll the people coming out and basically say uh you know how would you rate this film on a a through f scale as you know how you'd recommend it and you know how enjoyable it was and so those those results tend to always be really skewed because they only interview the people that went to see it as soon as it came out on opening day. The people that are such a big Fast and the Furious fan that they had to see it opening day or such a big whatever it is fan that, you know, they're there on the first showing or, you know, the first chance that they got. So, so it's always the fans that they interview. But even with that, with horror fans going to see The Turning the night it came out... <laughs> it got an F cinema score. And that is, you know, obviously the lowest that yeah. you can get. Wow. But but almost no movie should get that because it's just the people that love horror movies enough to see them in the theater and not only see it in the theater, but see it opening day in the theater that went to see this. And horror movie fans have a low bar. We have a low threshold for saying, yeah, that was all right, or that was good, or that was fun. And you and I have talked about horror movies before. Like, you used to watch, was it the Elm Streets or the Friday the 13th that you would watch when you were a kid? Uh, Both, actually. Okay, well, either one it applies to. Most of those were not great movies. Yeah. (laughs) The sequels weren't very good. and, And yet... We would watch them and enjoy them and look forward to the next one because 
horror movies are just fun and it's low level entertainment and you know especially with like slasher movies where it's just like if you're even mildly gory or inventive in your murders or you have you know obnoxious characters get knocked off one by one then we are entertained as film goers we're like yeah yeah you know it was good that was worth seeing but for the people that went to see The Turning when it came out, and I think it was February 2020 that it came out, it, none of them were entertained. None of them would recommend it. And so I mentioned that to you, and here we are a, a little over a year later, and now we know. Why it got an F, CinemaScoper. Yeah. Is that unprecedented? Has, has an, any other movies received Fs? It's not unprecedented. Usually like one movie or two movies a year will have an F. And probably in 2020, it was the only one because so few movies came out. Right. After that, people stopped going to the movies. But if we can talk about it, let's put a pin in it and talk about the movie and then talk about why after you think that it got an F. And, and I think there's a very obvious answer to the question. Yeah. But very briefly, this was a an adaptation of the famous Henry James novella the turn of the screw and i don't remember when turn of the screw came out do you uh i think it was early 1900s or it could have even been the late 1800s yeah well it was 1898 i I, i've got it in front of me i don't know why i asked you that (laughs) but but turn of the screw is this famous ghost story where a governess goes to this uh estate this you know mansion house to take care of of these two children and she starts to see things and she starts to hear things and begins to suspect that some present something is in the house and and it's a mystery as to what it is whether it's a ghost or whether it you know it's all being done to her or whether it's in her mind etc and it's been adapted for film several times uh, most famously in the 1960s uh, in the movie The Innocents, which I think we should talk about at some point. And I was going to say, this is the most recent adaptation, but it's not. <laughs> Netflix did a miniseries of it called The Haunting of Bly Manor that came out in October of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's actually newer by about eight months, which is kind of astounding. But of course, it's in the public domain, and uh, it is a famous ghost story. It is, yeah. And so it's only natural that it's been adapted a a bunch of times. I actually found it, a LibriVox recording on YouTube, and I started to listen to it. I only got about an hour in, and I never got back to it. But I I was in prep for this episode. I kind of wanted to revisit the book, because I read it many years ago. Oh, see, that's that's interesting. I didn't know that. I have never read it, but you may have totally different points of reference if you've read the book. Maybe between now and when we review The Innocents, you can finish the book. Yeah, I think I could do uh, and, that. And we can, we can talk about it then. I saw The Innocents in 1997, I want to say, uh, which... It wasn't that long ago in my mind, but on the calendar is a super long time ago. <laughs> uh, but I still vaguely remember a couple of points to it. And so because I think because you got the turning first, we chose to watch the turning first, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was able to get that quicker than I was the innocence. And that's fine. So so uh, people can join us on the next episode when we talk about the innocence. And, and I just I, I really enjoy that the. The two adaptations or the two movies that are tackling the same subject, I just, I like doing that where we can compare and contrast and say, well, this one was better in this way and that one was better in that way. My guess is there's not going to be a lot of things that we say were better in the turning. (laughs) Yeah, well, that would be interesting. But go ahead uh, and start us out and tell us about the characters in the turning if you want, or or I can do it, or we can just switch off, whatever you want to do. I can start out. You you might you, I think you've seen it more recently than I have, so you might need to to guide me a little bit, but so we have Mackenzie Davis. Now, it's interesting that 
you mentioned the 90s because they made a strong point at the beginning of the movie to date when this movie took place. And they were watching the news and Kurt Cobain had just died. And so that would put us into 1994. Yeah. Why do do you suppose it was set in 1994? The only thing I can think of is that they were scared of cell phones. They didn't want to have cell phones as a a way out. But all you have to do is say, hey, this area is so remote. There are no, there is no signal. You can't get a signal from a cell phone. So I don't know why I was, <laughs> I can't think of why they would place it in 1994 specifically. Well, they had music from that era that they were playing, but it was all super obscure stuff. It wasn't like it was the big hits of 1994 <laughs> it, they were playing. It wasn't like Captain Marvel. Right. It It's just, it was uh, the, the most famous artist that they played a song from was Courtney Love. There was a Courtney Love song that they played. But everybody else are like these alternative or, you know, goth girl bands that Kate is listening to throughout the movie. I don't know. It must have been a choice by the director of just, you know, that's when I was Kate's age or something like that. And so I wanted it to be set there. But I, I, I really don't understand, except for that reference to Kurt Cobain at the very beginning. Yeah. It could have been any time... And I looked at like the clothes that she wore, and yeah, it's it's not what people wear today, but it it didn't scream this is nineteen ninety four to me. And then of course the children and the nanny or the the what's the old bat called? The caretaker, I guess. I guess. Although I always think of the caretaker as like the old man with the shovel. Right. It's like oh, I've always got to whack on them. <laughs> that shrubbery there and and uh but i i, I don't know she, she i i want to say that she was the housekeeper but yeah i guess that would be that would be true let's just let's call her the housekeeper because that's who like cooks the meals and <laughs> anyways <laughs> so uh we, we we mackenzie davis plays kate and um she's in her early 20s uh living has a roommate or whatever and then she takes this job to be the, I don't think they call it the governess, but the nanny or the, she's a teacher, I believe. And uh, she's taken this position to go teach the, the this little girl out in a uh, in an estate. And so um, she goes there and meets the housekeeper. And she is like the only person in the house other than the, the little girl. And she... You know, it's a huge mansion, and they. Uh, she goes around, you know, trying to... She knocks on the door, nobody answers, so she just ends up walking around into the garden area, and that's where she meets the housekeeper. And her her name is Mrs. Gross. I, I have to say that just because you and I, growing up in the 80s, Mrs. Gross is just, uh, it's just amusing to me. <laughs> Yeah, and it's spelled G-R-O-S-E, which is odd. I guess that's probably more apt. But Well, it's possible her name was Mrs. Gross in the book, too. It probably is, yeah. Um she's kinda she kinda receives Kate a little frostily. I mean she's nice enough, but she's kind of on guard and asking her about her experience and kind of disapproving of her. And this is where you'll give Flora her lessons. Have you ever been a living governess? No, no, not since the 1800s. <laughs> is that a joke? No, no, not a funny one. This is my first live-in job. Ah. Well, I hope you know what you're doing. The children are very special, Kate. They're thoroughbreds. She refers to them as thoroughbreds. These, <laughs> yes, she does. Meaning that they're above, they're they're better than other people, and so they need to be taught well and taken care of. And they might be eccentric, but that's okay because they're thoroughbreds. Um, well, what the the boy, the older boy, is is at school, at boarding his, school or whatever. His name is Miles. Miles, yes, and Flora is the little girl. 
that she's mainly there to teach. Um, she does end up meeting Flora, and Flora shows her all around the house and all around the outside. That She takes her to the stables and out around the, the grounds and through the house. And uh, there's this one section where um, Kate's looking off into this other area of the house, and she goes, oh, that's the east wing. I never go there. It is forbidden! <laughs> what? Uh, sorry, I was trying to be the beast in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, the beast. Well, was... And so, you know, that kind of piques Kate's interest, but she, you know, at the time, she's just following Flora around. And Flora's a delightful little girl, you know. She's uh, kind of precocious, but seems to be fun, seems to like Kate. They kind of get along pretty well. And so... When she goes into her bedroom, she you know the little girl shows her. This is where you sleep. This is your bedroom, and there's this really creepy, lifelike mannequin of an older woman there. And she goes, "Oh, that's that's my grandmother." <laughs> and Kate says, "You had her stuffed," and, and uh, she goes, "Oh no, that's just a, a replication of her, or whatever." But it's very lifelike and very creepy. That was one of the first. Strange things, probably, that Kate runs into. Yeah, poor Kate. I, I, I hate to interrupt you, but they they establish Kate at the very beginning. Uh, she's a school teacher, and she has a roommate that she's really close to, uh, and she gets this job, and she goes to tell her mother about the job. Right. And they establish that her mother is in a mental institution. Her mother is doing these drawings, and, and, and the drawings are just like, black crayon scribbled over the page so so darkly that the the page is just black you know what i mean yeah she's unwell and i'm trying to remember what is it jolie richardson that plays her yes it is i think kate explains that this this little girl's parents died in a car accident and she had a governess let's call it a governess or teacher that just ran out, that just left her and abandoned this little girl. And so they needed somebody at really short notice, and Kate is going to go take this opportunity. Uh, but it's it's mostly there just to, to give us backstory and for us to understand that her mom is not well. And, and you hadn't mentioned that. I, I'm not sure how important it is, except for that it is sort of important sort of it's it's arguably important how's that <laughs> it establishes i guess that that her mother is is uh in a men- mental institution and and uh she kind of feels bad about leaving but uh, she does tell her mother she's going away and um so after kate's been there for a couple days and is teaching flora then one night she's frightened by somebody in the house and i can't remember exactly how she meets him but miles the older brother comes home from school they didn't expect him to come but he's there and later she gets a phone call from his boarding school and they tell her that uh, he was pretty much kicked out of boarding school because he got in a fight with another student and was trying to kill the other student had him by the throat and so that kind of conduct was not allowed, and he was kicked out. She didn't say anything about it till later, but she didn't get on Miles right away. She just said, oh, she, he, your things will be arriving soon or whatever. And Miles is played by Finn Wolfhard, which, you know, he's been in everything. He started out in Stranger Things, and he's been in It, chapter one i guess the first movie of it and he's been in a couple of different other things um, but he's always been this nice kid or the funny kid or whatever but in this movie he is hardcore evil child yeah at first he's just a little bit uh, i hate to use this word in a horror movie but haunted uh you know he's got a big mess of of hair and he's super pale and gawky uh, you know, he appears silently and standing, you know, above you or in the doorway so that he startles you every single time. Right. Uh, but it becomes clear almost immediately that he has behavioral problems, that he has issues. And Kate 
tries. She tries to be an authority figure for him. She tries to be a friend for him. Uh, and everything is thrown back in her face. And Mrs. Gross defends Miles. And Kate says, no, you know, you're not paying attention. Miles is not a nice little boy. There's some, definitely something wrong with Miles. And Mrs. Gross says, Miles's behavior is none of your concern. They were born into privilege, Kate. Can you please remember that? Miles was expelled. He attacked another student. He what? Yes, apparently a teacher found him with his hands around another boy's neck, slamming his head into the bathroom tile. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> no, he wouldn't do that. He did. And it sounds like he's very lucky that the other boy's family is impressing charges. Yes, well, other boys, Kate, have always been jealous of Miles. Let me help you. No, thank you. This is my job. You do yours. And this was the moment where I paused the movie and I had to take a walk. <laughs> you hadn't talked about it, but like all these, these creepy things start happening. Kate starts hearing things and seeing things. And at one point she like looks out her window and it looks like little Flora is floating in the swimming pool. I think she hears a splash and she looks and, and so she runs out there in like her nightgown and jumps in the pool to save Flora. And it turns out to be a mannequin that they threw in there as a prank. And poor Kate is just like freezing and soaking wet. And the kids just laugh. And I think this is one of like five pranks that that Miles pulls on her. At one point, she like tries to go talk to him and make peace with him. You know, say I'm not, I'm not here to replace your mother or whatever. I'm just, I'm here to to be a teacher. I'm, I can be your friend if you want me to. And they show this that I think his room is filled with spiders, and he grabs a spider and he puts it in a, a terrarium, and he's got like this gargantuan trapdoor spider, like. Like, it's the size of a VW bug. It is so, so big. Um, and they set this up with the giant spider for no reason at all. I had to pause for a super long time. <laughs> but it is definitely a setup. This gargantuan, terrifying CGI spider. But, uh, but we will talk about that at a later date. Um, but yes, so so I'm sorry, but 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 we are with Kate from the very beginning because she's level-headed and she's honestly trying to do her best, and and she seems like a sensitive, nice person, and Miles does not. And when she brings it up to Mrs. Gross, Mrs. Gross says, and I quote, "Miles' satanic impulses are none of your concern," <laughs> and so it just it it is aggravating to say the least. Yes. And you know, and he's a he's a bad influence on Flora, because generally Flora's nice and she likes Kate and gets along with Kate, but when Miles is around, he kind of pit Flora against her or, you know, make her question: Is Kate a good person or a nice person? And, and Flora's really concerned about Kate leaving. She goes, "You're not going to leave, are you?" And she goes, "No, I'm I'm here to teach you." And then. You know, her second day there, Flora's in her room. She says, oh, I'm just checking that you're still here. And then, so, you know, she's got separation anxiety or whatever, which is understandable. And so Kate really wants to be there for her. She she kind of wants, you know, she asks about, do you ever play with your friends? Or where are your friends? She goes, oh, I don't have any friends. And she thinks that's odd. And at one point, she wants to take the kids in into the little town. And again, Mrs. Gross is just being an obstacle saying, Flora does not leave the house. Flora does not leave these grounds. You could take that one of two ways, you know, basically Miss, Mrs. Gross being controlling, but also, you know, they also say that 
you know, their parents, she, she's been traumatized by the parents being killed in the car accident outside of the grounds. And that, so Flora is very afraid of that. Um, but she tries, she's, you know, we're going to go, we're going to go in town and she talks Flora into it and Miles is going to go along. And as they get closer and closer to the gate to leave, Flora starts freaking out. No, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Stop, stop. Please stop. I don't want to go. Oh, no, honey, we're almost at the gate. We'll be fine. I don't want to go. Stop! Hey, what are you doing? I want to get out. Flora, stay in your seat. Stop the car. No, leave your seatbelt on. Sit down, Flora. Miles, don't let stop or I'm going to die. Stop the car. Miles, I don't want to die. Stop the car or I'll fucking kill you. And she's kind of shocked by that and stops the car and they get out. And I can't remember what else he yells at her, but. I know what you're afraid of. Keeping the lights on won't keep you safe. Flora runs off. You know, he goes to console her. And Kate really doesn't know what to do. But she ends up going to town by herself. Calls her friend from the phone booth. And, you know, kind of talks about, I don't know if I should stay or if I should leave. And, of course, her friend is like, oh, come back. You know, there's always, and you're welcome here, and I'd love to see you again. I miss you. And But she makes the determination to stay and to go back to the house and take care of Flora. She does have a nice little moment with Flora at the pool area. And when we say pool, it's not like a swimming pool. It's kind of like a like a manicured pond on the estate and she finds Flora and she kind of apologizes for scaring her and, and making her leave the grounds or whatever. And then she talks to her about, you need to, you need to find your brave face. And she kind of talks to her, you know, there's a lot of things that I had to deal with when I was younger and I put on my brave face and, you know, she was kind of that, like this make believe thing. Like you pull it out of your pocket and put it on your, like a mask over your face or whatever. And so she has Flora do that. And so Flora's kind of likes that idea and wants to put on her brave face and whatever. I thought that was kind of a nice scene in the middle of all the other stuff that's going on. Looks good. So let's see. Show me your brave face. (laughs) Flora, come on. (laughs) You've got a a wild animal inside you. Let me see you roar. I've never seen a brave face take so fast. Should we test it out? Should we see if we can see ourselves in the water? It it is a really good scene. Um, And I think that the the actress is good, the the little girl. And one thing that that is interesting about Mackenzie Davis is, you know, maybe we should cut this part out because I don't want to sound like a, a, a jerk, but she's a fairly attractive actress but as the movie goes on, she just gets more and more stressed out and her hair looks a little bit, a little bit worse. And she's just, it's more ragged and, and just, you know, she, she's at her wits end throughout this movie. And, and the thing with a haunted house movie is that we as viewers, we always say, well, just go. Just get out of the house. Why would you stay? And it's the, the job of the screenwriter to come up with a reason that they don't just leave. And what they come up with in this actually works fairly well that she makes a promise to Flora. She, she What is it that the little kids say about a, stick a needle in my eye? That, yeah, cr- cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye kind of thing. Yeah, she, she does that, and, and that is like her primary reason for coming back when she find, when she does leave. But I got to say, by that point, by the point where Miles says he will kill her, she's already gone through so much that it seems like 80% of, of governesses would have left by this point. Yeah. You definitely understand why the old governess left. Oh, yeah. And, and that's another thing we haven't talked about. So there was a, what would you call him? He's a caretaker, right? named Quint that was like in charge of the horses or something like that. And, and old Mrs. Gross says that he died. But before he died, he really bothered 
the last uh, governess, Miss Jessel. And Miles really loved Quint. He just, he, uh, he, he wanted to be like him. He, he lo looked at him as a father figure kind of guy, but Quint was not a good man. And so you can kind of see that influence on Miles. But again, Mrs. Gross is not an ally to Kate. And when she talks to Mrs. Gross about some of the things that Miles has been doing, Mrs. Gross says, and I quote, Miles's predilection for your nubile sleeping body are none of your concern. <laughs> um, sorry, maybe I skipped ahead. No, no, that was the next one. Like, I mean, Miles is Miles is is really rough. I hated him so so much, only eclipsed by my hatred for Mrs. Gross. But, <laughs> um, like at one point, like he's always doing stuff. And he's always lurking around. And like I said, you know, she like, I think at one point she opens her eyes and he's like standing above her bed. And I don't know if he's been touching her or whatever he's been doing, but it's just what you can imagine. And, you know, we're so vulnerable when we're asleep. And the thought of that, oh, it's, it's rough. Yeah, very creepy. And at one point, I think she goes, she goes into his room and he's got all of these pictures uh, of like uh, women in their underwear or something like that all over his bed. And uh, this will surprise no one. But when she tells Mrs. Gross, Mrs. Gross says, and I quote, Miles's collection of Polaroids featuring the bare buttocks of dead middle-aged prostitutes is none of your concern. <laughs> she is an ally to Miles, that's for sure. <laughs> And that, that's just, I mean, that was one of the creepiest things, scenes for me, was when he's in her bedroom, just hovering over her and, and, uh, oh, not really making an excuse for why he's there. He just, and he tries to, to touch her face and just, uh, just creepy. And he's, he's a young kid, but he's, he's, you know, probably 13, 14. So, um, there's also, you know, weird, like she, she sees things. Like one time she was looking out the window and she thought she saw the face of a young woman in the in the window. And she's caught little things like in the mirror. She thought she saw something in the mirror. There was this scene with, with the mirror. And I can't remember the details of it. Maybe you do. Where Flora was having a hard time with something. And Finn actually, you know, helped um, the situation by... Pretending there was, oh, my friend's in the mirror, and he's saying this, and, oh, and, you know, kind of a pretend, make-believe thing with Flora. And he says it's okay. Maybe it was when they were, they were trying to talk her into going to town or something. But there's just these little things where it, it seems like he might be talking to someone, like a ghost or something like that. And the more we learn about Quint, the more we question his dealings with the previous nanny and also the events surrounding his death. You know, how did he die? Why did he die? And I can't remember Mrs. Gross told Kate some reason, you know, he fell off a horse or something like that. Right. I think she says, I think she said that he got drunk and he fell off a horse and that's how he died. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. And at one point when, Miles was being somewhat nice at the beginning. He says, oh, I can teach you how to ride a horse to Kate. And so they, there's this scene where, you know, she's going around the circle, you know, riding the horse and, and trying to get it to do. And he's he's in the middle of the circle whipping the horse. You know, she says, you don't have to, to whip him. You don't have to be so vicious. And he's like, oh, no, Quint taught me. If you want to be an authority and a master over the beasts, this is how you have to do it. And so... <laughs> I'm not quite sure where to go from here to get to the ending, but yeah, I, I guess we can just skip ahead because, like, there's a scene where they play hide and seek, and oh, oh my right. gosh, poor, poor Kate, she she's trying to find the kids, and and what she ends up finding is I'm pretty sure it's Mrs. Jessel, Miss Jessel's ghost, but for some reason the ghost attacks her, uh, but but Kate thinks that it might be Miles that's doing it because that is in character for Miles. 
and she's so upset and she comes into the library and Miles and Flora are there with Mrs. Gross. Explain yourself. I was hungry. I am sick of the games. Don't talk to them like that. He has been terrorizing me since day one. Don't be ridiculous. He's been here with me for the last 15 minutes. The only person doing the terrorizing around here is you. <sighs> poor Kate, again, just she's constantly like pawed by ghosts or they leap out at her or, you know, grab her from under the bed or, or you know, shake the bed. And it just it, it it's so repetitious. There's so many things that she sees and then it's gone and, 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 you know, jumps out and then it's gone and it just, you know, happens over and over again. And I think at some point she finds Miss Jessel's diary and she's been reading that. And I, at one point, I believe she like walks in and she witnesses like forcing himself on Miss Jessel. But th- are they there? Or are they not there? Uh, it's... Yeah, she's hearing things in the East Wing. That seems to be what's going on with what she's hearing, but we we don't know if, like you said, the ghosts are there or not. And yet she must have fallen in that pond like three or four times because I think she's grabbed and pulled into the pond by the dead body of Miss Jessel at one point, or f- she's doing something and she finds the dead body of Miss Jessel, or those are two different scenes. Where she's in the water and 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 it's Mrs. Jessel's body, and it's 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 rough and 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 yeah she she has no allies at all when she tells Miss uh, uh, Mrs. Gross, Mrs. Gross says and I quote, Miles's collusion with the specter of Quint to murder you and destroy all that you hold dear is none of your concern. She's consistent, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> not a, not a good lady. Yeah, and that, you know, I I guess people listening to this might think, well, actually, this sounds like a pretty good movie. (laughs) (laughs) And for the first third of the movie, I was into it. I liked, you know, the the setup and the the mystery and the, the eeriness of things and just they were really setting up this mood and the, the atmosphere of a really good horror movie, you know, ghost story and, you know, what's going to happen and how's Kate going to deal with this. And But after that point, it just beca- kind of became like a abstract repetition of things. Like they had all these scenes that they had thought about and they have filmed them all and they just put them out there. You know, there was didn't seem to be rhyme or reason to a lot of it. And by the time we got to that flashlight tag scene, I was like, why in the world would you even agree to play flashlight tag with Miles involved, you know? And of course, she she finds Flora somewhat quickly, and then she has to go down these dark stairs into like the cellar to, to find Miles. You know, why in the world would she do that? You know, if Miles had done the things to me <laughs> that she, that he had done to her I would not follow him down into a cellar I, the movie had really lost me kind of at that point but you know <laughs> might as well watch it to the end kind of thing maybe it'll redeem itself at the end and there'll there'll be some good stuff in there yeah see and 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 the the answer to that is quite the contrary i feel like there's a scene that we're supposed to talk about but it, it ultimately doesn't matter where Kate gets a letter from her mother and it's a bunch of drawings of just, like I said, just blackness and and just awful, disturbing imagery that she's sent. And Mrs. Gross has has looked at these pictures. Uh, She claims that it came opened um, and then says something like, I hope your mother's condition isn't a genetic one. And it's just, what a terrible, terrible person, dude. And the only reason I'm mentioning this scene is because I think the end of the movie comes back to this. And basically, to make a long story short, you know, just things escalate and the ghosts become much, much more obvious. And 
you know, they stop just like lurking and appearing and disappearing and they just start physically doing things. And it culminates with Miss, uh, with Quint's ghost attacking Miss Gross and he pushes her over like a balcony and, and, and she dies. And then Kate, I think, tries to grab uh, Flora and, 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 and get her out of the house, maybe with Miles in tow. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe she accidentally breaks flora's doll and this i guess is a doll that her mother gave her before she died and flora is really upset and miles is he just unloads and says you know that kate is crazy and delusional and dangerous and i i i don't even know what happens after that <laughs> honestly I, well, I i do that does she just load him up in the car and they... well, there, there is a scene where kate and the kids you know, she finally convinces Miles to help her get Flora out. And, you know, he says he can't. Quint won't let him leave. And he says, well, how long is it going to be before he gets to Flora? And that kind of, I don't know, helps him get out of it or whatever. And then they get to the car and they go to the gate and they open the gate and they drive out. But then that's a false thing because Kate wakes up from a dream that, that she had dreamt that. And then it goes to that scene where she accidentally breaks the doll. Did you see Quint in the mirror? I know that you saw him. Yes, you did. I saw you. Quint's dead. You saw him too. No, I didn't. Why are you lying to me? I saw him. I know you saw him. I didn't see him. Just tell me that you saw him. Flora, tell me you saw him. You broke her. She's broken. You broke I can, her. I can fix her. Just let me. No, you can't. You broke her. It was an you accident. Broke her. I can't fix it. She's broken. Just like you. And then, as you're listening to Miles kind of go on, but they're walking away. That tells Flora, "Come on, let's go." And as they're walking away and talking, you hear their voices. But it focuses in close on Kate's eyeball and into her iris. And then you see, all of a sudden, she's on a bed in the mental institution where her mother was in the, in this, in the bottom of this empty swimming pool. And she gets up out of the bed and goes over to the fig- a figure. And it's her mother. And her mother turns around. And we don't see the mother's face. We just see Kate's reaction and she (gasps) back in fear and then credits roll. (laughs) And that's the end of the movie. And I don't know what we're supposed to take from that other than I guess Kate was crazy, but just a very terrible ending for the movie. I thought I, I, they should have just had it where the, they escape out of the estate and just left it at that. Or yeah. or they could have shown what Kate saw and freaked her out at the end. Yeah, the they, only thing I can think of is she saw herself. Yeah, exactly. I I mean I think I think that's how we're supposed to interpret it, but why would you not show us that? Because I think she's like screaming when she sees the face or something, and then the credits roll, but yeah, I guess you can leave that to our imaginations that she sees herself, but I I don't understand why you wouldn't show us that. What you want something to end the the movie, end it. Instead, the credits end the movie, and it just it was it was among the worst endings I've ever seen in a film, and I completely lay that F Cinema Score at the feet of that ending. Yeah. And then after that, I I talked to you, I called you and I was just like, wow, dude. Wow. And you said, does your DVD have an alternate ending on it? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, it does. And you, I think you said, well, you should watch that. And in that alternate ending, uh, can, can you remember it? Uh, the only thing I can remember is the spider thing. Can you, do you remember more? Yeah. So it, it, it has... Like an actual ghost of Quint following Kate down the, these stairs and chasing after her. 
and she goes out into the arboretum area of the house and she falls down or whatever and he catches up with her and he's going to kill her or whatever and she starts to fight back and she they're struggling rolling around and she gets on top of him and starts choking him i mean he's a ghost but now he has physical form and and she's she's going to kill him and then little flora comes running down you stop it stop it you're going to kill him and she's all upset and worried for quint she gets to kate and grabs her or whatever and kate looks down and she sees that it's not quint that she's fighting she's fighting miles and she's she's got her hands around the throat of miles and he's not breathing or whatever but and flora's just angry and mad and crying you've killed him you've killed him and then he i think he comes back to consciousness and kind of chokes and then he lays his head back and this giant spider crawls out of his mouth and runs away or whatever and then miles kind of comes back to normal and looks up at kate and kate's just kind of dumbfounded and you know scared and freaked out and staring down at him but flora is happy that he's alive and they're kind of smiling or whatever and it kind of fades pulls back and fades away from them and that's the alternate ending and to me at least that's 10 times better than the ending that we got yeah it's it's not great but it works yeah. And and it pays off that spider that they established early on, which the real version does not. And and it also helps you know with a with a climax with something instead of just I don't know. Was it you that suggested well maybe the the the, film, the camera just ran out of film. <laughs> and they're like, "Okay, that's a wrap, guys." Yeah, it was kind of a joke, but maybe they ran out of budget or I don't know what happened or if the idea was just to film all this stuff because maybe they only had the house for a couple days or whatever and they just filmed everything they could while they were there and they figured they'd edit everything together to make it work. I don't know. Um, you, yeah. You've seen a lot of horror movies, but have you seen a lot of horror movies like in the last 10 years? Not too many. No. Have you seen any horror movies in the last 10 years? As bad as The Turning. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I have not. <laughs> this is probably the worst movie I've seen. It's so bad. And most of it is that ending. But even if it had a satisfying ending, it, it is bad. And, it, and, and part of it is just that it's so much of the same scares and something jumps out and something terrifies Kate and nobody believes her. And then it happens again. And then it happens again. And then it happens again. Well, and it was interesting because I watched it with, I think, my whole family. Cause my, oh, no, what, really? My, yeah, because my, my son, when we were choosing movies to watch in October for Halloween or whatever, he wanted to watch The Turning, um, but it was, like, expensive at the time. And we said, no, nah, we'll watch these other ones. We'll maybe watch The Turning later. So he was, and he had seen the trailer for it. We had watched the trailer and that scene with the spider coming out of his mouth is in the trailer. And the mm. whole time, well, afterwards, well, no, it wasn't until a couple days later, we watched the movie and whatever. And then a couple days later, I realized there was the alternate ending. So I got everybody together. And I said, okay, let's watch this alternate ending. And he's like, oh, that's where the spider, I was waiting for that moment because that was in the trailer. But, you know, kind of a consensus in our house but it was that, that it was not a good movie. I said, well, it started out good. I liked, I thought it was a good movie for the beginning of it, but then it just got bad. Uh, my daughter, however, said, I thought it was a good movie. <laughs> so, well, it got an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that means 11% of, of critics felt the same as your daughter. Yeah. She's also watching the Vampire Diaries, so I don't know <laughs> if, if I trust her judgment too much. But well, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've never watched the Vampire Diaries, but but I feel like it has to be high, of higher quality than this, or it wouldn't have gone like six or seven seasons. Oh yeah, I, I would, 
I would watch an episode of Vampire Diaries way before I'd watch this movie again. And so. I, I talked to you a little bit about the history of this movie. And, and the thing that's so sad about it is that this was a Steven Spielberg produced movie where he had financed it or, or hired the team to make this movie. And it was going to be called Haunted. There was a screenwriter and there was another director and it was going to star Alfre Woodard and Rose Leslie. Hmm. And then five weeks before shooting was to begin, Spielberg personally pulled the plug on the projects. That's a lot of peas. It was because there were problems with the script and there was a disagreement. They had brought on a new screenwriter and the new screenwriter had a different direction that he wanted the story to go. And so they shelved that version and let everybody go and let their contracts lapse. Uh, They spent $5 million on Haunted and then started again with uh, The Turning. And uh, yeah, they hired all new people, a new director, a new cast. And, you know, it's too bad that that that, that there isn't the other version to compare it to. Yeah. Just to just to see, you know, in the same way that I wish that we could see the original solo a Star Wars story uh in the same way that there are people out there that have watched the 4-hour Justice League and can at least <laughs> compare it to the 2017 Justice League and say, "Oh, I like this or I like that." But I I feel like there's no way it could have been as bad as this was. Yeah, and I'd say the acting would be better with Alfred Woodard, but I didn't I don't think the acting was too bad. On any, I thought Mackenzie Davis did a pretty good job, but it did become redundant. But that's not her fault. And then even as bad as as Mrs. Gross was, you know that actress did a good job of acting, I guess. But I, I don't think it was an acting problem. I think it was a direction or a writing problem with the movie. It just didn't didn't come together cohesively at all. Yeah, and it is. I it, I feel a little bit jealous that you watched it with your family because. You had somebody to share this bad experience with where you could all talk about it. But I also feel bad for you because I wouldn't want to subject the people that I care about to such an awful movie. And it's not just awful. It's oppressive. It is. It's one of, you know, you, you've talked about your wife maybe not having the same taste filmically that you do and say, hey, nobody should be watching that. Or, you know, I don't understand how you could get any enjoyment out of that. That's how I feel about The Turning. I don't know how anybody could get any enjoyment out of it. It was grim and just, ugh, gray and ugly. And and that's, you know, and that's why I didn't want to, to take the blame that for, for us watching it. Because I just, yeah, I, I, I feel a little bit guilty. It It was not a good movie. And I recommend it to no one. Yeah, it didn't do much to increase my credibility with my kids as far as... <sighs> Because you know, they're always talking about, oh, is this one of Dad's weird movies? <laughs> so this uh, just added to the pile, I guess. Yeah, well, I, and and you've you've said that a few times, and I, I like that your your family that your children don't hate you so much that they refuse to watch stuff with you. <laughs> you know, like Big would always talk about watching uh, Agents of Shield with his kids, and that, and I was like, oh gosh, that's really neat. You know, I, I, I would I would love to watch that with anybody else. Sometimes if a movie is bad, having shared it with somebody else makes it not so bad. And sometimes if a movie is good, because you shared it with somebody, it's better. But yeah, I don't I don't envy you having watched this with, with your wife and then having to face her at the end of the night and she's like, Well, this is what we did with our Sunday afternoon. <laughs> she was okay with it, but she, I mean, she didn't like it, but she wasn't mad at me about it. So that's good. Well, she should have been. <laughs> it was like when I was a kid, my, uh, my friend Matt lent me a video cassette of a movie. It's a really obscure movie from 1987 called Lethal Weapon. And my dad <laughs> found it in my room and he says, I, you know, I can't believe that you would bring this into my house. It became his house, not our house. And he was so upset that I had brought this filth into his house. And I never forgot that. He was so angry about Lethal Weapon. 
and huh. it just uh it was one of those things where it's just like yeah i i i can see your wife saying i i can't believe that you brought this into my house marshall and she would have been right to say so <laughs> see and then i could just say oh the rish wanted to watch it that's the only reason i <laughs> he made me do it <laughs> anyway i i don't really have i think, I think the only to... one the only one i i blamed you on was uh Sword of the Valiant. Sword of the Valiant is bad, but I, I had so much more fun watching it than I did this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully we've gotten that that out of the way. And when we watch The Innocents, it'll just be so much better <laughs> in comparison to this. Yeah. And, and unlike the, the, the turning, I recommend if, if people are listening at home that they go out and rent The Innocents. And so... We can, uh, they can be informed when we talk about it. Because uh, I think a lot of what we'll do is just compare and contrast the various scenes and how the, the, you know, the scares were handled, how the children were handled. Uh, even though there's a, what, 60 year stretch in between the two movies. And I, I will uh, try to, to finish listening to uh, turn. I could probably get it, grab it off my shelf and read it too, but it's a lot easier to listen while I'm in my car instead of read. So, oh no, no, that that makes sense. A lot of times, those LibriVox recordings are hard to get through. <laughs> That's true because it's it's sort of like Wikipedia was when it first started, where just anybody could edit Wikipedia or write whatever they wanted. That's kind of how LibriVox is, when, especially when it first started, is just, you know, if you had a microphone and you had the free time and willingness to do it, you can record something that's in the public domain and it's out there. But a lot of the times the recordings, the sound was bad, the, the narrators were not good or talented, but, but, you know, you get what you pay for. It's free. Yeah, I, luckily I found one that the, the narrator does a good job. So I at least found that. Okay, well, that's that's good. That is definitely better. Thank you for uh, putting yourself through this, by the way, for, for our, <laughs> us and for our listeners. And if you'd like to reward Marshall in some way for doing this for you, because it was for you, feel free to uh, to donate or support him on Patreon I believe it's www.patreon.com forward slash journey into. That's correct. And it's really appreciated and it's helpful. And I, I think it might help Marshall in his arguments, his nightly arguments that he has with his wife about this, this podcast. Daily, when she says, why? Why do you waste your time with these podcasts, Marshall? <laughs> your children don't even know your name anymore. It would help. <laughs> I can say, look, look, I got another subscriber. People care about this stuff. Uh, and if you'd like to email the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can email at journeyintopodcast, all one word, journeyintopodcast at gmail.com. And you can also call the voicemail line at 77JINTO107. And let your voice be heard on the podcast if you would like. That would be neat. So that that's it. That's it for tonight's show. I think we... Yeah, uh, thanks for coming along with us. <laughs> we watched this movie, so you didn't have to. So so I, I am looking forward to watching The Innocents. So we'll be back uh, soon with uh, our review of that movie. Okay. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night. Listeners of this podcast, unlike Master Miles and blessed little Flora, you must comply with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. You were not born into privilege. You cannot sell this audio or alter it in any way. You are, however, free to share it as you please, but you must divulge from where you obtained it. Now run along. I have my job to do. Be sure to do yours.
My take on the book is a very female one, and I wanted to explore the ideas of the Me Too generation. Every part of the visual aspect was very important to me. So from the wardrobe, the styling of the hair, the makeup, the sets, and the frame. I like to begin sketching my ideas. I do watercolor paintings, and then I do uh, line drawings. And for me, it's about having that image come to life on the page in order for me to go and then, you know, begin to start filming. I think there is a lot that we don't know about ourselves, and to navigate through a story in the mind of, of a character and, and what is, you know, the deep wounds of the character. And I think people can relate to that. Did I hang up on you? You did. <laughs> That's weird because the phone is across the room. Really? I think it was uh, Quint. <laughs> but Darn Quint. Uh, I made this soup for Flora's father when he was her age. Oh, you've been with the family for that long? It's quite a commitment. It's an honor, is what it is. <laughs>